0: Take thou authority to preach the gospel. Indeed, I look upon all the world as my parish. Hello, and welcome to our latest episode of Field Preachers. This is your host, Rachel Gilmore, and I'm excited to share that today's guest is a church planter from my home state of Virginia. Tim Ward and I were actually in licensing school together over a decade ago. And he's grown the largest multi-site ministry in the Virginia Annual Conference. So I hope you'll enjoy my conversation with him as we learn more about the great work he's doing at a florist United Methodist Church. So tell me, who are you? Where are you from? What are you planting?
1: So um, I, think it's, I think it's helpful to give just a little bit of background. Why a planter? Like, Where did that come from? What did that start? Um, First of all, I'm the pastor um, of Restoration Church in Reston, Virginia. It's a multi-site out of Flourish United Methodist Church in Herndon, Virginia, just outside of Washington, DC. I had an early experience with the church. My family was super involved in a free Methodist church when I was really little, and um, there were 30 people. That was how big it was at its (laughs) largest state. In fact, on Bring a Friend Sunday, We just stole people from other churches and invited them (laughs) and then they went back the next Sunday. But when I was in third grade, I was a bit of a rambunctious child. And when I was in third grade, I had a woman pull me aside in the church and say, if I didn't settle down, I'd never be welcomed back in the church again. Sixth grade, um, that went on. Things like that went on and on. And in sixth grade, a pastor, we had many different pastors because we couldn't afford a lot of pastors. We only had 30 people. So we'd get either retired pastors or like pastors that were 21 years old. And we got a retired pastor who stood up at the pulpit and embarrassed our family um, Mm. from the pulpit, and we left that Sunday and didn't go back to church. Um, That was when I was 12 years old.
0: Like, didn't go back to church at all? I mean,
1: very, very rarely. Never Mm. really found another church home. Wow. Um, So fast forward really quickly. In college, I got involved in FCA and got connected to the church, Um, but that was or got connected to God again, but that was not really the church. And ended up, Mm -hmm. fast forward, fast forward, fast forward, got involved in a church again, and um, really struggled the entire time that I was in that church with only being with churched people. And um, I had been at Flourish United Methodist Church in Herndon for a few years and was the director of discipleship there, and was really getting tired um, of not interacting with people who also struggled with the church i, I didn 't feel like I could find my people i 've heard a lot of people talk about finding my people, so felt called really to step away from the church and I was a pastor at this point and felt called to leave again because i didn 't know about this idea of planting, about starting something new, and about the fact that you could spend time each day out in a community so um, my district superintendent approached me. Um, our lead pastor approached me and said, hey, what if we think about this multi-site thing and going and launching something new? And I had a lot of questions, but hey, it was something new. So it was cool and exciting and sexy, and I could get to go do that. So out of that, that was, um, that was probably about seven years ago now, and out of that, almost five years ago, we launched Restoration.
0: Wow. Yeah. So when you launched, like, what was it like? What were things that you celebrated? What were the challenges of being a multi-site?
1: Sure. Um, so first of all, I want to say, I think multi-site can be the hardest way to do it and the best way to do it. So I want to give that that tension in mm-hmm. there because I think a lot of people say, "Well, multi-site's the easiest way to do it," and I think in a lot of ways it is. I also think it's the hardest way to do it, and I think personalities drive a lot of that—the um, lead pastor personality, but also the personality of the planter and that sort of thing. But for us, um, the way that we did this was we had experts come in that told us how to do it. So we had several different coaches come in and say, this is the way you have to do it, and this is the way you have to do it. And, and we chose to pick and choose pieces from things like that. And one um, that we did was we talked to other churches who were doing multi-site, and one of the things they said was, if you want to do this, you have to go ask people in your church to go be missionaries to a new land. Mm-hmm. So we went, I um, had been at Flourish United Methodist Church for goodness, about eight years at that point. And I went to people that I had deep relationships with the church and I said, are you willing to go be a missionary? And this new land was only 20 minutes away mm-hmm. in Reston, but we got about 80 to 100 people to say they'd go be missionaries. It's um, huge. It's, it's really huge. Number. And what we said was, look, if you're leaving because you don't like the preaching at this church, don't come with me. Like I don't want somebody that's unhappy. If if you want to leave the church because you just like me, don't do that. I don't want people that are just like me. But if you want to go and be missionaries and um, think about every restaurant you go to as an opportunity to engage people who don't know Jesus, and and in your workplace and in your community, not just for the sake of getting them to come to the church, but a missionary for sharing the love and the grace of Jesus Christ, then then let's do this and let's go do it. So so we did, and like I said, we got eighty to one hundred people now. The truth is, if, if, if we're being really honest, probably 25 of those people had no clue what they were signing up for, <laughs> and they turned around and left pretty quickly. I mean, you know, we worship in an elementary school. That was um, pretty key to us being able to do this, and ultimately, it was key financially. Uh, we looked at renting spaces in industrial parks and things like that, and in Reston, Virginia, that was going to be about $12,000 a month. Um, and so the only option for us, there are no warehouses in Northern Virginia. Like, you can't rent... Or, or studios. Um, so it really came down to a school, and that ended up being a huge gift and a huge blessing to us because a lot of our relational work that we do, a lot of our evangelism happens as a result of the school and the community that we're in.
0: So you're still in
1: the school. Still in the school, and, and it's funny because often people come and they say, so what's your vision for getting out of the school? And I say, our vision is not to get out of the school. Um, we launched, and we did this because we um, honestly, it started off as this, like, how do we convince people that going to church in a school is okay, so we said, we're the church without a building, and that has become our mantra. Um, year two, we were offered a building by our district superintendent, but that building was outside of uh, of our area. It was uh, in a very, very wealthy area, and we're in a um, an area that's incredibly diverse economically, um, socially, culturally, racially. And we, it would be in an all-white community. That's you know, two million-dollar homes and things like that. And and I'll be honest, if I'm i being really really honest, I was pretty tempted by the fact that we could have a seven million-dollar property and
0: yeah, no joke, yeah, <laughs>
1: go and just take it, right? I mean, it was it was this thing where it was like, let's go do this. And my people, my people stood up and they said, the people who God has brought to this church thus far will never walk into that building. Mm-hmm. And we had a at that at that point in time. We had a large population of folks who were homeless. Um, We had a large population of people who had been rejected by the church or were terrified of the church, so were very comfortable walking into an elementary school, but would have never walked into this uh, 1970s-style formal church. Um, So our people said no, and they said it um, with their voices. It was the only time in our two years of, of going, that the people had really pushed me on something. Because up to that point, they were like, Tim, you're our leader. Like, let's do this. And when I brought it up and I said, hey, I'd like for you to pray about this, what they heard was, we're going to do this. And they were very clear we were not. Now, what I'll say is, God was also very clear that that wasn't the right thing for us. So it was, the, the, you know, my, my pride and my human side was saying, wow, we're going to walk away from a $7 million building. But I got to tell you, only beautiful things came out of the fact that we said no.
0: So I guess my question for you something I experienced as a planter and I hear from others is that one of our biggest common struggles is like volunteers, people to show up faithfully, consistently to help set up with breakdown. When you're in a school every single week for, you know, half a decade and more and beyond with no intention of having a building, what does that look like? I mean, how many volunteers do you need? Do you feel like people are, it really empowered to, to show up and to get it done?
1: So we probably have, we, we have a prayer time every Sunday morning at 9.30 with all of our volunteers who are involved in our Sunday morning. And that's set up, and that's our guest services, and that's our kids programming, and that's you know our worship team and AV. And we have between 40 and 50 people that are there for mm. that prayer time. And what's really, really interesting was when I, when I, was, in, I was in student ministry years and years ago, And I had a volunteer that um, helped me out, but she had become, since I left that and was doing other things, she had become disengaged with the church. So right before I went to launch Restoration, I took her out to Panera and I said, hey, I want to do this again. Like I want to be on your team again. And she said, what do you mean? And I said, I want you to come and be my volunteer recruiter and in charge of my setup on Sunday morning. And I am convinced that one of the best decisions I ever made in planting was that conversation. Because she has um, trained, she has recruited, she has given, she is there every single Sunday with the exception of like three a year, um, and has built set up teams, has built our guest services team. Um, We just had, to give you an example, when you talk about volunteers, we just had a training the first week of August, in the summer, and we had 40 people show up to be trained to be volunteers in our guest services area so honestly i hear the woes of volunteerism i hear them over and over again and when i was part of a much larger church it was a much larger problem mm-hmm. for volunteers what i will say is we have developed onboarding processes for new people when they come in to get them engaged right away and to suggest i'm gonna change trains of thought here but to suggest that Serving and volunteering is just part of who we are in this church. reason I said I was going to change my thought, Billy Sum was my initial coach, and Billy Sum told me two things that I will hold on to if I hold on to nothing else. One, he said, was in the first three years that you're in a community, your goal should be that every single person in the community has heard of you. And he said that doesn't mean that everybody's coming to your church. That doesn't mean that everybody has met you. It's that every single person has heard of you. So that was in our vision the second thing he said is that every single person in your church is a volunteer. And he said, not a servant. He said that's not words that normal people use. Mm-hmm. Normal people use the word volunteer. So those have been things. If I held on to anything from my first two years of coaching with Bill, it's those two things. It's that everyone would know who we are. And secondly, that, that, um, that everyone would be a volunteer. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't ever have a Sunday where it's like, huh, we're going to have to recruit a couple of volunteers. It happens all the time. But I'll also say we have never had a Sunday where I'm doing the majority of the work or where our staff is doing the majority of the work. We have never had a Sunday where we didn't have 30 to 40 volunteers. I mean, and that's Sunday morning. I mean, we have lots of other things that we do, but volunteerism for us has been part of the, I think part of the being in a school is that like we're homegrown, like we're going to do this together, so...
0: Wow. Yeah. So in terms of multi-site, you're the first site out of Florist. Tell me about other multi-sites or expressions coming out of your ministry.
1: So so we now have five sites. Um, we have our original site, we have Restoration, which was our first multi-site, then we launched um, a celebrate recovery site. Then we launched an online expression. And then we launched our Loudoun County site. So we have five sites. What I will tell you is um, I paved the way and had the blood and the sweat and the tears and much of the struggle. And and, and it was both both ways for the other sites that make it a lot easier for them to live into who they are today. And they were able to move more quickly and not have to step over so many things. Um, The lead pastor of our church named in the very beginning... That ego was hard on this. Number one, you have 80 people leave your church. right? That's a big, big deal. Number two, this thing is growing because it's exciting and things are happening and your existing church is not growing as much and that's really hard. But number three, it's really hard in a multi-site to figure out, and this is something we had to figure out over time. And this has been a real challenge for us. Do you do anything together? What are the pieces that are What what does it mean to carry the DNA of something out? Does it look the same? Does it feel the same? And currently, each of our expressions are different. Um, There are different pieces. We all uh, preach the same sermon series, but every sermon looks different. We have different styles of music. We have different orders of worship, different ways that we do it. And a lot of that is based on the personality of the planter, but a a lot of it's also based on the um, context and the culture that we're in. So so my, my big thing to say to that is, I think multi-siting is great because we share a communications team and we share a finance team and these are things we don't have to stress about or worry about. I also um, think there are many things that I would say to people, and I have when I've coached teams that are stepping into multi-site situations, like figure out your finances right away and what that's going to look like. and who's responsible for mm-hmm. what amount mm-hmm. and where that comes from and set your budgets right away and make sure those those lines are really clear. Um, figure out your communication right away. Like what has to be communicated at all sites? What doesn't? Our folks who worship with us, now we're 20 minutes away, but it, they do not come to combined events at that site. So if the answer is let's all go to that site and do this combined event, they won't show up. Why? Because that's not their church, right? And it is, because we're all one church in multiple locations, but the truth is, it's not the place that they go to church. Um, And some of those conversations are hard. You know, I talk to my coach quite often about the fact that like, we're almost five years old, and, and it's not so much the lead pastor, but a lot of times it's the staff that I have to explain what multi-site is to again and again and again and what these different expressions look like. So it's, it's challenging, but at least I feel like I have a team
0: mm-hmm. always around
1: me. I don't feel like I'm alone on an island.
0: That's true, that's a gift, like it with is. that multi-site setup. It is. So what's your relationship now with the, the pastor of that mother campus? Like is he, does he help supervise all the sites? Do you do that? How often do the two of you meet? Like, what have you learned over your
1: time? Together? So, I mean, I think it's, it's, what I always say about our plant is it's like building the plane as we're flying it, right? And I think that's what our multi-site relationship has been like. What we ultimately got to is that I am over all of our sites, um, I am over our multi-site strategy and over all of our sites, but that took some time to get to and figure out. Um, we meet as a pastoral team every Tuesday morning. And we meet to, um, first of all, check in with each other and see how everybody's doing. This is all the pastors of all the sites. But we also meet to talk about uh, sermon planning and what's going on in our preaching and that sort of stuff. Um, we share some of the exegetical work every week. Somebody does the exegetical work, and they pass it off to the whole team, and the whole team goes and does with it what they please. So, so we're not replicating all of those things. But, but it took us a really long time to get here. Um, our staffs don't interact a ton. Our staffs interact once, a, once, twice a year, maybe, as a whole staff. Um, with that being said, um, our site's staff interact with the communication staff, of course, and the finance staff on that site. But our, I have the benefit of having worked with the lead pastor of that site for um, 13 years now, almost 14 years. So we had a relationship before this happened. My experience with many multi-sites is that when pastors are dropped in and there isn't a relationship, it can be really, really tough Mm
0: -hmm. and really
1: challenging. And naturally, planters are strong personalities. Naturally, lead pastors of churches that are healthy enough to plant often have strong personalities. And when you put the two of those together when you put natural leaders together, that can be a recipe for great challenge.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And we look—we we have had our challenges, right? We have had our—we um, have had so many moments where it's almost like putting an apple and an orange together side by side and going, "I don't get why you're not an orange, and I don't get why you're not an apple." Uh, the commonality of being pastors is not the same as planter and existing church pastor. They're so very different. And what we have found is, it is helpful for us to recognize our differences, name our differences, and own the differences in not only who we are, but what we do. I regularly will look at him and say, look, I would not want to sit in your chair. And when he comes to events and he sees me out in the community, connecting with people, you know, inviting people to things, engaging them, and he stands back and he goes, wow, I would not want to do what you do. And I think some of the beauty is figuring out that while we don't always agree with each other's decisions, neither one of us wants to be the other person.
0: hmm So I don't know that you want to speak to this, but I'm gonna throw it out there. Because sure. you have taken on um, at least a part-time role in the development side, church development for the district. Yeah. Um, what is that like? Do you think church planters should be heavily involved in church development teams? Why or why
1: not? I mean, I feel pretty strongly that church planters should be involved in church <laughs> development teams. I, I, I think it's like saying, do you think, um, do you think mechanics should train mechanics? I mean, it, it's hard. Church planting is this different beast. And it's not only about knowing the nuts and bolts. Look, we we can read the books. There's 180 books out there. It's about knowing your people and knowing the culture of church planting and knowing the challenges and knowing the joys and knowing the life and knowing the things that, you know, we've spent this last few days talking about, about how um, you know, I I almost think it's cute when a planter comes to me now and says something like, hey, I met these four new people in the park yesterday, and they told me they're coming to worship. That's four more I can add in. And I go, "Eh, you know, maybe you can add them in. (laughs) Maybe you'll never see them again. We'll see Sunday morning, yeah. It's so hard. So I also think, I think having planters on development teams helps make things realistic and set realistic expectations for all the other people who think things can just happen. I'm mm-hmm. constantly telling people the timelines they're setting are too short. These are people who aren't planters. These are people who are DSs and, you know, conference developers sometimes and things like that who say, well, they can launch in three months. And I'm going, there, there's no way. So part of it is, um, I think we think differently, planters. Mm-hmm. Um, I think also we're more realistic
0: mm-hmm. about
1: the realities. I mean, whenever in my, in my world, the phrase "parachute drop" is a dirty word, and when I hear that come out of the mouth, I just go, "Look, if you want to do a parachute drop, you can try it. I can just tell you we've had very little to no success in the Virginia Conference in saying that it works, so
0: yeah, yeah, it is it's almost impossible.
1: And I mean, look, we have outliers, Rachel, we have the gathering, mm-hmm. and that was an outlier. Well, I didn't to choose to do a parachute right yeah. Right. But, you were yeah. kind of you were more sort of <laughs> parachute launched, right? Right out of
0: post So the multi-site, yes. see this is where I'm excited to talk to you because yeah. I'm like, I couldn't master the multi-site thing. We did the Lone Ranger thing in the wilderness instead. Well
1: again, I I mean I, I tell this to Tom all the time, who's the lead pastor of Flores. I say, I think where multi-site breaks down more often than anything else is in relationship. Mm-hmm. And it's it's yeah. it's hubris. It's um, ego. It's
0: miscommunication. Miscommunication. It's different agendas. Assumptions. Different, yeah. yeah. And I think priorities, vision, everything.
1: I think if the vision can be super simple, reach more people for Jesus. If it can yeah. be that simple, nothing more complex.
0: Yeah. And live with open hands. Take Absolutely. who you need. Take the resources you need. Yes. Not an us, them type thing. Yeah. And like you said, you know, clarify the finances, other things up front. So and
1: we sure. didn't do those things. Like I want to I <laughs> name, like this sounds like, oh, I mean, this is five years of sort of sweating, mm-hmm. right? And, and doing this together and going, man, we really should have been clearer about this. Now, as we've launched more plants, we've gotten a little bit better each time and we're still by no means perfect at it. We have not figured all this out. And relationally, there are still quite a few rubs, right? There are things that happen. But you know what? I love my wife with all of who I am and we still have rubs, right? We Mm -hmm. still have moments where we miscommunicate. We have moments where maybe the the vision that one of us is sharing is not clear to the other person. So it happens.
0: Mm -hmm. So 24, 25 year old church planter just starting out, what advice would you give him or her?
1: (laughs) Run. Um, No, a 24- or 25-year-old church planter. um, (laughs) My biggest advice would be to fall in love with your community. Like, really love them. Figure out the heartbeat of that community. I mean, nuts and bolts stuff, look, everybody's got a manual for that. But what nobody can teach you how to do is how to love, not the people who are already there, the people that you brought with you, but the people that you don't know yet, the people that you're going to come to know. Um, Some of the most beautiful stories that we have had out of our church planting experience are because, are a result of the fact that we were willing to go out into our community and love people in their most vulnerable moments. We had a young woman in our community who was murdered. Um, She was a young Muslim woman and was murdered. And they called our church and said, will you come and be part of the response? and the love, I mean, we love our neighbors. Doesn't matter who they are, what their background is. Um, When the founder of Reston died, Robert E. Simon, which is where Reston comes from, Robert E. Simon, he was 101 years old and he had founded it 51 years before that. And when he died, we were asked to come and do the the community um, vigil. He wasn't a Christian we were asked to come and do the community vigil because what people knew was that we loved our community. Hmm. So nuts and bolts, if you're 24 years old, maybe you haven't fallen in love often, but um, (laughs) fall in love with where you are and learn the heartbeat of it and care about what that community cares about. Um, and, And where I am, the community that I'm in, cares about some things that are different than things that I cared about but I have learned to care about the things that they care about. Because when you care about them, it's like my children, right? I've learned to care about the things that my kids care about.
0: That's awesome. I'm excited for you and the ministry you're doing there. Yeah, Virginia, so you know what, stuff. we're loving it.
1: Um, the, the other thing I would say, last, last thing about mm-hmm. what would I give advice. I, I really think co-planting is really, really important. And when I started, I had a worship leader that was a co-planter with me, Um, Amy Cox, a a beautiful, beautiful soul. And um, I I did not know when I hired her that that's why I was hiring her. I thought I was hiring her because she'd be a great music leader. And she ended up being a partner in planting. And that was somebody who, who I could bounce ideas off of, somebody who had her own unique niche in the community and was engaging different parts of the community than I was, and somebody who would call out crap in our church when people would say things like, why are we doing this? And would say, it's because we're called to reach more people for Jesus. So find your person. If that's not a staff person, if you can't afford a staff person, find your layperson to be your co-planter. I think it's a biblical model, but I also think it's one of the most important things that, that transformed my first three and a half years. Now I will say at three and a half years, she looked at me and said, our season was over cause she's a gypsy and she wants to go play house concerts all over the U.S. <laughs> and and that was hard and it was heartbreaking. But mm-hmm. now I have a new partner um, and, and, and it happens to be my new worship leader. But, um, so I think that's really, really important.
0: Mm-hmm. Not do it alone. No. Planting can be so isolating. The last thing we need is to try to be a maverick and not lean into our relationships with those that God has sent to us for that purpose. Absolutely. So when you have a church, a large church especially, that has healthy DNA, using it as the anchor church for a multi-site can be one of the most successful approaches in church planting. So I love Tim's statement about multi-siting being both the hardest and the best approach. Um, his story also reminded me how important it is to listen to your faith community, especially when you have to make really crucial and critical decisions, because it kind of creates a shared ownership or investment in the vision and the DNA of whatever it is you are planting together. I also love Tim and that he's hardwired for relationships. He has recruited some of the most amazing staff members and other church planters to work alongside him. And um and really transform their community. So I hope you were as inspired by his story as I was. As always, thanks for joining us at Field Preachers. If you like what you're hearing, share it with others. Or if there's a church planter whose story you think needs to be heard here, uh, reach out, email me at rgilmore at I'd love to hear from you.
1: Field Preachers Podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.